Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. If you read Exodus 20:13, the Bible states that God's chosen people are forbidden from committing the act of murder. From the English Standard Version, Exodus 20:13 reads, "You shall not murder." The English Standard Version of Exodus 20:13 is fairly emphatic. So I was curious to see how other translations of the Bible says this very familiar piece of Scripture. So I began to look in different translations. Chances are there's probably some of you out there that have the King James or the NIV or the NLT or NASB. Well, the NIV says, you shall not murder. New American Standard Bible says, slightly different, you shall not murder. The message kind of condenses it. It says, no murder. Holman Christian Standard Bible says, do not murder. Friends, let me say here and now that abortion is murder. I don't care what New York puts into law or what West Virginia is putting into place. Abortion is murder. I know some of us have differing opinions on this, and I'm sorry if this statement behind the pulpit this morning offends you. It should. Abortion is offensive. It's offensive to the mother. It's offensive to the child. It's offensive to civilized society. It's offensive to our Christian values. It's offensive to the Bible. And friends, it offends God. The first to be killed in Nazi Germany were the infirm, the senile, the mentally handicapped, the age. And those that the Nazi government determined were defective children. And transportation of patients to killing centers were carried out by a very unique company with a very unique name. It was called the Charitable Transport Company for the Sick. The plan was to kill all the Jews and all the Poles and to cut down the Russian population by some 30 million people. You know, when you think about the Holocaust and you begin to wonder how in the world could that ever take place in civilized human society? Leo Alexander, who was a consultant to the Secretary of War and on duty with the Office of the Chief Chancellor for War uh, War Crimes in Nuremberg, says that what happened in Nazi Germany all started, it all began with the acceptance of the attitude that there was such a thing as a life not worthy to be lived. It all started with that foundation, that presupposition. There is life that is not worthy to live. There was a story about an elderly German man who lived throughout the Holocaust, and he wrote down his story. So I wanted to read it to you this morning. He said, I always considered myself a Christian. I attended a church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but... 
like most people in America today, we try to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. What could anyone do, after all, to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle from a distance and the clacking of the wheels moving over the track, and we became disturbed when one Sunday we heard cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews. Week after week, that train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry out as they passed our church. It was very terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help those poor people, yet the screams tormented us. We knew exactly what time that whistle would blow, and we decided the only way to keep from being so disturbed by their cries was to start singing our hymns. In some of the screams, if some of the screams actually did reach our ears, we would just sing a little bit louder until we couldn't hear them anymore. Years have passed and no one talks about it much anymore, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God, forgive us all, forgive all Christians who just sing a little bit louder when injustice takes place at their back door. Friend, there is a mighty justice, injustice, excuse me, taking place at the back door of Eastern Shore Baptist Church and every church across America. And the point of today is not to turn up our hymns. The point of today is not just to sing a little bit louder. The point of today is to make us aware of what's really taking place and the infanticide that is going on in our streets across America. Notice that it all began with the attitude that there's such a thing as a life not worthy to be lived. And to be honest with you, that sounds a lot like the ringing that I hear in our media today. 90%, understand this, 90% of expected parents who receive a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome will abort their baby. A life not worthy to be lived. What that's really saying is that God somehow goofed. The God messed up. He must have been distracted or tired when he created that particular life, maybe not paying really close attention. Is that the way God views those that he creates? And I don't believe that it is. If you will, you can open up your Bible to Psalm 139, excuse me, verses 13 through 16. And I want you to fill in this blank. All life has a plan and is precious. All life has a plan and is precious. All life has a plan and is precious. All life has the determination to be given, to be lived in whatever manner it's been brought forth and is precious. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 says this, For I formed you in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed from me, when as yet there were none of them. God had this wonderful particular plan for every being that has ever come into existence and he knew you before you were ever made he knew the very amount of hairs that were going to be on your head 
He knew everything about your body and he created you and your body with a specific plan and a purpose. I want you to fill in some blanks for me this morning, understanding a scriptural view of life. Roman numeral one is this, you were created to bear his picture. You were created in the image of God. Friends, only human beings can fellowship with creators. Only the human beings can fellowship with their creator. In Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image. You were created in his image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps along the earth. So God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Only man is crowned with the glory and the majesty of God. We are the only part of creation that is crowned with glory and majesty. Psalm chapter four, or excuse me, Psalm chapter eight, verses four and five says, what is a man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Only God should determine life's beginning and end. Friend, you and I do not have say-so as to when life starts or when life ends. That is only God to determine. In Psalm 139, verse 16, you saw my unformed substance in your book. Again, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, yet when there was none of them. Only God has the right to exterminate life or to bring life into existence. In this context, the question is often asked, what if the mother's life is in danger? Shouldn't she have an abortion then? Dr. C. Everett Koop, former Surgeon General of the United States, said that during his life, more than 35 years of medical practice in, obstet obst uh, in, in obstetrics, not, not, never once did he come across a case in his practice where abortion was necessary to save a mother's life. Just the other day, I was praying for a, a girl who doesn't attend our church, but her name's Nikki. She just gave birth a few weeks ago to a precious granddaughter. And during the course of her pregnancy, doctors determined that she had cancer. It was a rare cancer, and it was an aggressive cancer. And they told Nikki, Nikki, we, we're so sorry to, to give you that information. It's devastating, we know. And we need to begin chemotherapy quickly. We need to go ahead and start moving towards that, but it would terminate your pregnancy. And so Nikki said, well, I'm not going to do that. And so Nikki continued on through her pregnancy and still gave birth to her daughter. What an amazing amount of courage. Nikki chose another life over her own. Had that baby been born yet? No, but Nikki viewed that child inside of her as life, as a human. It was not some clump of cells. It was a life worthy to be protected and guarded and delivered, even if it meant costing her her own life. We hear the notion of women's rights 
It's the woman's right to determine what she does and doesn't do with her body. Well, take a second. I, I found one of my favorite pastors, is a, and you may have seen this clip already. One of my favorite pastors is a gentleman by the name of Matt Chandler. He's pastor of the Village Church. And he has this great sermon on the very topic of which we are preaching about today and what you're listening about this morning, about this idea of women's rights. Women have the right to do whatever they want to do with their bodies. They can choose whatever they want to do. And, and who are you as a man or as a preacher to tell them how they ought to carry themselves? Watch this video. Who decides this? Who do we give this power to? Well, it's the woman's body. The baby might be in the woman's body, but the baby is not the woman's body. Has its own DNA. Has its own genetic code. Has its own blood type. Has its own functioning brain. Its own functioning kidneys. Its own functioning lungs. Its own dreams. It's not the woman's body. It's in the woman's body. That's not the same. And the argument is, woman should get to choose what she does with her body. Bull. Go prostitute yourself. See if you get arrested. You don't. I don't have the right to do whatever I want with my body. No one does. That's this kind of weird, ethereal argumentation that's so detached from rational thought that it shows that our consciences have been seared. You can't do whatever you want. Tell you what, drive 95 miles an hour naked on the way home today. Just do it. Let's see if you can do whatever you want. See what kind of rights you have. But the argument is, no, 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 no. You don't get to tell me what I get to do with my body. Of course they do. Our elected democratic republic gets to tell us all sorts of things that we can and can't do. And right now what they're telling us we can do is murder babies. At the other end of life, when loved ones have illnesses diagnosed with terminal, that are terminal and perhaps in great pain, Christian physicians who view God as the giver and taker of life can become very skilled in pain management to alleviate suffering. Even though circumstances may not make sense for our perspectives, we're never authorized to play God, to usurp the position of what is rightfully his. Again, when we start cheapening life at the beginning, we begin to cheapen life at the end as well. It's not just about ending unborn lives. It's about ending lives that are currently towards the latter stages of life. Who are we to take life? Who are we to say, well, you're just too old. You're too sick. You don't, you're not worthy of living any longer. Friend, it's not just about life at the beginning, it's also about life at the end. We don't have the right over our own body. We don't get to say and choose what we do with our own bodies hardly ever. And to think that we would give someone, any human being, the power of saying, yes, we will allow you to terminate a life, makes no sense. And of course now, I heard a clip from the current Virginia governor it's been widely circulated. The question was asked of him as to what point in the pregnancy would a, a child be terminated. And he actually said that a baby could come out of the womb. They could place the baby on a table. That the physician would have a conversation with the mother as to what could be done with this child if its life 
we're not really worthy to be lived. We were created to bear His image. Number two, we were developed according to His plan. It's declared in His Word in Psalm 139, 13-15 that organs and systems being woven together, the frame obviously referring to the skeleton, the bones, the skull, which will determine height, build, size. Luke 1.35, the baby Mary is carrying called the holy offspring, not some blob of tissue or a potential being. Aren't you glad that they didn't refer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Luke 1.35 as a blob of cells or some tissue? In Luke 1.41, Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb upon hearing Mary's news. This is not an action performed by fetal tissue. This is an action generated by a human being in the womb. Life starts at conception. It's validated by medical science. Friends, did you know that the heart begins beating at 18 to 21 days? 18 to 21 days after conception, we can literally hear a heart beating. You can see it in a microscope, the cells generating, pumping. After 18 to 21 days, brain waves at 40 days. It's clear that you can see a child now. Don't you wish back in the days of Roe v. Wade, they had those 4D ultrasounds. How many of you ladies had a 4D ultrasound of your child before it was born? Show of hands. Fantastic. And some of you that had children before a 4D ultrasound, you wish you could have. I can remember going in to my wife's doctor and we sat there together and they put that instrument on her tummy and began to roll it around and you could see clear as day your children. We could see their nose, their ears, their eyes, their smiles, everything about them perfectly formed way before, by the way, that our children were ever born. I can remember sitting on a couch with my wife and she'd be, oh, you know, and the baby be rolling around and I can remember distinctly seeing a child's foot being pressed on the outside of her tummy and you can see hands. I used to kind of like to poke them and see if I could get them to move around. By the way, I still do that today. Just poke them. Heart beating from 18 to 21 days, brain waves at 40 days. Not even supporters of abortion argue anymore as to when life begins. The only thing that supporters of abortion really like to argue about is when they can kill it. Luke 1.35, the angel answered to her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and be called Holy, the Son of God. From the very beginning of Jesus' life, he was deemed holy. He was deemed a child. He was deemed to be a son and a family. Again, understanding the scriptural view of life, we were created to bear his 
picture. We were developed according to his plan and we are protected to fulfill his purpose. We're protected. A total of 730,322 abortions were reported for the Centers of Disease Control way back in 2011. That's the most recent year I could find. It's estimated that close to 4,000 unborn children are aborted every day. 4,000 a day. It's a modern-day holocaust. In the United States, about half of all pregnancies are unintended, and of all the unintended pregnancies, four in ten are aborted. 21% of all pregnancies in the United States end in abortion, not including miscarriages. By the age of 45, one-third of American women will have had at least one abortion, one in three Friends, America is a sin-sick, death-focused society. Our government funnels tax dollars to programs that exterminate defenseless human life in a more humane way than most of us euthanize our pets. Our unborn children are being butchered in the womb while we put our pets down with more humane more American children have died at the hands of doctors, nurses, mothers, and fathers in the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Korean War, the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, Mexican-American War, any conflict in Iraq, and the Philippine-American War combined. Friends, there's a murderous war being waged every day on the unborn child, and all of us are guilty. All of us are guilty. Every single person in this room, we are guilty of turning our heads and ignoring their silent cries. Not only are we guilty of murder in a spiritual sense, but we're guilty in a physical sense by sitting idly by, watching our country grow numb to a fetal genocide of 50 million babies strong. Perhaps the saddest, by the way, perhaps the saddest of all these statistics is the greatest number of women. This is going to blow your minds. The greatest number of women that are having an abortion today are Protestants. Protestants. Of all the abortions that are performed here in the United States, 42% are given to Protestant women. God loves our little children. A theme that, by the way, we see throughout Scripture, if they're not protected in the womb, they can't live to experience God's love. Even the animal kingdom is fiercely protective of its young. Have you ever tuned in to Animal Planet and you see lions protecting their cubs, bears protecting their cubs? And yet we as an American society fail to protect even the most defenseless of those around us. If our children are to be protected after birth, shouldn't they also receive even more protection in utero? when they're even more vulnerable? And furthermore, doesn't pro-life mean more than just protecting in utero children? It also means protecting those that are infirm, those are handicapped. It means loving all life, no matter where it comes from, no matter what stage it's in. Life is life. And every person that has ever walked on planet Earth was generated in God's image and is precious and has a purpose. In his book, The Sanctity of Life, Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite writers, tells a story of a couple who married during the Great Depression when 
he was middle-aged and when she was in her 20s. And exactly 10 months after their wedding day, their first child was born a baby boy. And the times were tough, as you can imagine, back in the Great Depression, but they fairly managed well. And before their second anniversary, guess what? Out comes another one, another baby, and this time a little girl. And their hands were very, very full, and they barely had enough money to be able to put food on the table. And then lo and behold, in January, long before their fourth anniversary, the following October, the mother conceived her third child, even though they were using contraceptives. The two other children obviously were still in diapers. Finances were challenging. The mother's health was not good, and understandably, she was exhausted all the time. She didn't especially enjoy young children to begin with. She battled postpartum depression. And the pressures were so great that it would have been easy to seek out someone, anyone, who might, even though it would have been illegal at the time, to have an abortion. However, this couple was convinced that they should accept whatever God had sovereignty planned for them, and in spite of the circumstances, they chose to trust God, and they had that baby, a boy, in October of 1934. And that baby happened to be Charles R. Swindoll, president of Dallas Theological Seminary, pastor of many, many years, preeminent teacher and pastor of the Word of God. He and his parents lived a good life together. All three of those children, by the way, that his parents had had are in vocational ministry even now. And I began to wonder as I heard that story, how many leaders our country has aborted? How many doctors, lawyers, scientists, teachers, presidents? How many pastors has our country aborted? Friends, this morning, I want you to understand where our country is. And again, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just making a biblical statement. And sometimes we need to get our views less in line with a political party and more in line with God's word and what God's word actually says. And we don't need to vote because we've been voting a certain way for years, and mama and daddy voted a certain way for years, Republican or Democrat, friend, we need to start voting what God's word actually says. Not a political statement, biblical statement. So what's our response to those who've had abortions? Our response is love. Now, we've been, I've been saying a lot of hard things here today in hopes that, that if somebody in our congregation gets an unexpected pregnancy, that maybe that girl and that boy would, would remember this day and say, you know what, I remember what Pastor Stewart said, and maybe it would tilt the scales from abortion and back to life. You see what I'm saying? So we've been saying a lot of hard things today, but at the same time, for those that may have had, one in three women in our country have had an abortion, our response to them is love, it's compassion. It's to put our arms around them and say, you know what? Yes, you've done a, a terrible thing, but guess what? We've all done terrible things and God still loves you. God wants to forgive you. God has a plan for your life. 
And God can help you. We're not judging you because we're all sinners. That should be our response, not condemnation, not hatred. This morning, I want to close by inviting a a really special guest up to the stage. Her name is Sarah Patterson. Sarah has a phenomenal testimony. And her daughter, Alice, is here with us today as well. I'm glad that her mother has joined us and her neighbors, the Baxters, are here in support as well. But Sarah, we love you. Come share with us your testimony. God bless you. Thank you so much. Good morning. My name is Sarah, and at the age of 18, I found out I was pregnant. Never have I been more scared. The truth is, I had not been making the best choices for a while. My relationship with my parents was already fractured as a result of some of those bad choices. There was absolutely no way I could tell them I was pregnant. I could not face their look of shame, which I knew was only a reflection of my own shame. I was always raised with the idea, if you get pregnant, you have a baby. I wasn't aware I had other options. Was abortion really an option? I had no idea you could have an abortion so easily. Never have I felt so alone, so broken, and so completely lost. Somewhere in the darkness of my thoughts, I remembered seeing a billboard on my way to Gulf Shores. It was advertising help in an unplanned pregnancy. I didn't think much about it at the time, but out of the blue, in my greatest time of need, I remembered that billboard. I searched the internet and found the place was here in Baldwin County. Terrified, not knowing what to expect, unsure of my future and the future of my child, I walked in the doors of Women's Care Medical Center. Before that day, I had convinced myself there was no other options. I could not face my parents. No one could know the truth. Therefore, that only left one option, abortion. God must have handpicked Miss Mindy that day because she was exactly who I needed. She gave me hope and possibilities. I'll never forget her words that day. She said, secrets have a way of coming out. Search within and ask yourself, would your parents be more disappointed now or years later when they figured out you aborted their grandchild? Her words pierced my heart slowly, and my heart began to soften, and I began to see the truth. I found hope in place of my fear, faith in my despair, and a love for my child I did not know existed. When I told my mom, she simply wrapped me in her arms and told me we would get through this together. Not once did my mom or dad express being ashamed of me. My dad did the most incredible thing. He built a changing table for the baby. There are no words he could have spoken that would have been greater or louder than that simple act of love. Throughout my pregnancy, I was surrounded with overwhelming support from my family, our church, and especially Women's Care Medical Center. The parenting classes I attended with Ms. Mindy gave me confidence to raise my baby. Even though I felt ill-prepared to be a mom, my consultant taught me that God had already equipped me and given me the skills necessary to parent my child. The most incredible experience in those parenting classes was at the end of each class when my consultant would pray for me. During my pregnancy, I felt so loved and cared for. My worth was not based on what I had done, but on who I was, a life created in the image of God, a life of infinite value and worth. Going to those parenting classes also taught me godly principles of parenting and helped me make lifestyles in my own life, lifestyle changes in my own life. Not only was my baby growing inside of me, but a deep desire to be the best person I could be for my child was also beginning to grow. Everything in my life shifted. I had a greater purpose now. I had someone depending on me to do better, to strive for better, and to be better. And then the day came and once again my world changed. My world was filled with love and joy and beauty as they laid the most priceless treasure in my arms. 
My sweet Alice has changed my life. In many ways, she saved it. She has brought healing to my family and restored my relationship with my mom, dad, and my brother and sister. My mom once said to me, can you ever believe you thought in the back of your mind abortion was an option? And no, I can't. I am forever grateful for Women's Care Medical Center and the impact they have had on my life and the life of my child. In addition to being a mom, I am now back in school where I'm studying to be an accountant. I am still seeing Miss Mindy and I'm very active in my church. Now I would like to introduce to you my beautiful daughter, Alice, who is asleep. <laughs> Your support of Women's Care Medical Center is helping women like me and saving babies like Alice. Mark 16:15 says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. You do not have to go far. There are lives in need of saving right here in Baldwin County. You have an incredible opportunity to be proactive in fighting for life here in your community. Join Women's Care Medical Center for their annual Walk for Life. Your participation could save a life just like it saved mine and my sweet Alice. Thank you. Before we have uh, our time of invitation, I do want to give you a couple action points because maybe you're thinking, okay, I've got this information, now what can I do? Well, um, there's a lot of things you can do. One, you can pray. Uh, just be praying for people like Sarah, uh, people that have found themselves in a difficult situation. Uh, also be praying to ask God, God, show me an opportunity where I can be supportive uh, of folks like that, young mothers, young fathers uh, who are expecting a, a, a child and, and yet it may be unexpected. Um, so you could do those things. One, uh, so that's one, pray. Two, um, be involved. Uh, be, invo be involved in the political scene. Call congressmen, call congresswomen, call your senators. Um, you know, make some noise. Uh, you know, allow uh, your voice to be heard. You know, get in the public squares and let people know uh, what you believe the Bible actually says about unborn life and life in general, about all life being protected. Post about it on Facebook. Post about it on Twitter. Just get it out there in a loving way, not in a con condemning way, but in a loving way. Let people know uh, what, what God's Word actually says about it. Three, uh, you can volunteer and give. Uh, you're going to hear again one other announcement from the Women's Care Medical Center. Uh, we've got several members of our church that are involved in that ministry, um, and we support that ministry as a church. Our missions uh, team actually gives money to Women's Care Medical Center every single year, and you heard straight from Sarah's mouth uh, the unbelievable impact. So our church gives, but I would encourage as individuals, you can give to that as well. I mean, we always talk about giving to the church, and we want you to give to the church, but this is a worthy ministry to give to as well. And so you can volunteer there, and you can give and be a part of it as well. So pray, um, speak, volunteer, give, and here's the last thing. Heaven forbid one of our own children here in our church finds him or herself in a situation that Sarah found herself in. As a church, what we ought to do in a situation like that is not kick someone out or judge them as if we're any better. What we ought to do is put our arms around that child, because that's what Sarah was at the time, an 18-year-old child, and love them and support them and help them. 
that is not the time, right, to say, do you know what God's word says? <laughs> not the time. That time is gone. That time is now to say, I love you, and I'm going to stand with you, and I'm not going to throw you away. You know, Sarah was worried about what her, her mom and dad said. And then she was blown away. Guess what? Her mom and dad love her. The students, I'll share this with you. If you ever find yourself in a situation like that, you need to understand your mom and dad will not throw you away. They'll stand with you. They love you. They care about you. And they're not going to let you go through it alone. Okay? So if that ever pops into your head, well, mom and dad, they're going to be so disappointed. Maybe I need to have an abortion. Don't let the devil put that in your mind. Your mom and dad will love you, stand with you. Can I get an amen, moms and dads? Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Joey. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you today. Thank you for this fantastic time. We've been able to hear a powerful testimony. Thank you for Sarah Patterson. Thank you for the life of her daughter. And Lord, we pray that we will do our part to protect, love, encourage, and nurture all life of any kind from any place, no matter how young, how old, or where it hails from. Lord Jesus, we stand with you. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to help us to battle. Lord, help us not to, to just sing louder as the cries pass by. But Lord, help us to take notice. And we pray this in your name today. Amen. And friends, this morning I would invite you now. We're going to have a time of invitation. Tony's going to come and lead. I know we've got one family in particular that's going to be joining our church today. So if you've been uh, praying and thinking about joining our church, but you're like, well, I don't really want to walk down by myself. Well, guess what? You won't be walking down by yourself today. I promise you. So uh, am I right? I am right. Okay, good. Uh, so we would encourage you to come. Uh, we would love to talk to you about uh, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you've never made that, that public profession of faith to say, Jesus, I want to be on your team. I want to ask you in my heart, I want to be saved today. I can walk you through that. We can pray together. Maybe this morning you want to come for baptism or for prayer. We would love for you to be a part of our church here at Eastern Shore Baptist. So would you stand? Would you sing, Tony? Come and lead us. God bless you. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength in me small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find me, mine all in all. Jesus, pay Hey.